We come today to celebrate the second anniversary of our prayer ministry, and you'll be hearing more about that as the service progresses, as well as seeing some answers to prayer, uh, not only in our lives that we know about, but some answers to prayer as far as this community is concerned and this church is concerned. I want to read portions of David's great prayer following his catastrophic experience of failure in his own life. Personally, I read from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you and you only have I sinned. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy, the joy, the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your free spirit. We've not all sinned alike. We've all sinned in one way or another, privately, personally, attitudinally, relationally, whatever it might be. Whatever it is, whether you're the only person in all the world that knows it, or many do, God forgives you of your sins. Let's join our hands and our hearts together to thank him for his loving kindness. And Father, we do come to thank you and praise you for your loving kindness and your graciousness and your forgiveness. We thank you, Father, that you have promised to blot out our sins, to remove them from us as far as the east is from the west, to bury them in the depths of the sea of your forgetfulness as you cleanse us and renew us and not only take away our sin, but restore a right heart and a new spirit and the joy, the incomparable joy that you bring into our hearts and lives. May we not impede that experience by our own pride or indifference, but may we open our hearts in freedom and spirit to hear what your spirit has to say to each and all of us today, for this is our prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. As Jesus said, what is required of a servant but that he be found faithful. Wonderful when uh, good surprises happen in church. All kinds of surprises can happen in church. Um, I've been going to church and speaking for uh, many years now in thousands of different congregations and places and all kinds of uh, surprising things have happened. I don't have time to talk about all of them. It does remind me, though, of a song uh, by Ray Stevens. How many of you listen to Ray Stevens? You have, uh, have you heard that great hymn of his about that half-crazed squirrel that got loose in that church in Pascagoula, Mississippi? Have you heard that? Why don't you all sing great hymns like that? I, I mean, that's one of the great hymns of the church. Oh, boy. 
I'm going to borrow that squirrel sometime, turn him loose in here to see what, see what happens. Um, I've had a lot of strange things happen. Uh, Martha and I, we hadn't been married but a few months, and we were in the seminary in New Orleans, and uh, I was invited to preach for this rally, uh, 1,200, 1,500 people at a citywide rally up in Baton Rouge, and um, at the Estruma Baptist Church, and it's seated about, oh, about half of what our church seats, wonderful, beautiful church, and uh, some people had given testimonies, and Martha had sung, and other things had taken place in this rally, uh, an associational-wide rally, and then I was to preach, and I was preaching on the fire of God. That was the title. Well, I got about three-fourths of the way through it, and I got down to where I said, and now my final point is, and people are always glad to hear the preacher say that. Uh, I said, my final point is, and this man walks up behind me. I'm standing there at the, at the pulpit in that church. He walks up behind me, and he whispers in my ear. He says, Buckner, the educational building immediately adjoining this sanctuary just behind us here is, is ablaze, and we need to empty this sanctuary, and we need to get people to move their cars. Now, don't frighten them. <laughs> I said, for my final point, I want all of you to quietly get up. Don't rush. Don't hurry. But I want all of you to leave church. That's the greatest final point any preacher ever made to any congregation. People didn't realize that building back there was on fire. When they got about half of the, the congregation was emptied, uh, they began to hear the fire trucks, and they began to smell smoke, and they knew it. No one rushed, no one was hurt in exiting the building. Uh, but it joined right up against the, the sanctuary, and by then a little smoke had started curling underneath the doors on either side, just like we have here. And uh, Martha was seated there on the front row having sung, and this was in the day when women wore gloves to church. How many of you are old enough to remember when women wore gloves to church? Well, Martha had one glove off and one in her hand, and I walked over there to her, and I said, uh, Martha, while the people are leaving, I'd like you to just sit down on the piano and play something. She looked at me like she thought I had lost my mind. We hadn't been married long, or she wouldn't have done that, I can assure you. She said, I said, yeah, let's kind of calm everybody down. She said in her mind, she could see the newspaper saying, the charred body of a young woman was found <laughs> at the piano. <clears throat> and she could smell that smoke. You could see the smoke. And she, she never took off the one glove. She sat there and played on the piano. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? <laughs> Isn't that right? And she did it well. Uh, and after a little counseling, our marriage has survived very, very well since. <clears throat> well, a surprise took place in church one day in Capernaum when Jesus was preaching. So we don't need to feel like we are exceptions. Jesus was speaking in this house that was just packed with people, probably Simon Peter's house, for the event took place in Capernaum. It's recorded in the 6th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, 5th chapter, excuse me, Gospel of Luke, 2nd chapter of the Gospel of Mark. I'm referring to the 5th chapter of Luke. <clears throat> the place was packed, the Scripture tells us, 
this house, probably Simon Peter's house. Uh, some of you have been to Israel, and you know that Simon Peter's house has probably been archaeologically confirmed as the spot where one of the early churches met. And it's right there about 50 yards from the Sea of Galilee, very uh, beautiful and impressive place, Capernaum is. Uh, and it was probably Simon's house, and Jesus was speaking there, and the Scripture tells us that it came to pass well, on this day when he was teaching that the Pharisees and doctors of the law had all crowded in there. It was so crowded in there that no one else could get in. All of the religious authorities were there. All of the religious leaders were there. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, were all seated around there listening to Jesus, not so much because they were eager to hear what he said. They were listening to Jesus because they were always out to try to get him. They were always listening with a jaundiced ear because they wanted to hear something that they could use to, to accuse him. And uh, here were four guys outside carrying their friend on a pallet who was paralyzed. And these four friends were trying to get their paralyzed buddy into the presence of Jesus, and they couldn't get in because of the religious crowd that had crowded out the people who really needed to be there. I wonder if that ever happens today. Well, I'm not talking about actually in terms of seating in a church, but I am talking about attitudes and spirit do you believe that some religious folks, well-meaning, sincere, but religious folks that are there to try to pick up something that they can criticize, do you think they ever get in the way of needy people finding their way to Jesus? Yes, they do. And they did here. And so what did these four guys do? They used their, their ingenuity. They said, well, this is old Simon's house, and I hope he won't mind, but we're going to get up on the roof and we're going to knock a hole in the roof, and we're going to get our buddy to Jesus. Now, in, the, in that day, the, the homes that had flat roofs, they had just a little angle to them, a little uh, a slant. What am I trying to say? Pitch, pitch, right. Had a, had a slight pitch so the water would run off. But here's Jesus preaching along, and all of a sudden, up above him, plaster starts falling. Pieces of straw start falling, which is what much of, many of the homes were made out of, and some mud falling down there. Religious crowds sitting down there, wiping themselves off, and Jesus standing there. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what was happening. Standing there looking up and smiling and watching the reaction of everybody else as this body comes being lowered right down at his feet. And the Scripture says, Jesus, well, let me use my imagination a moment. I believe God gave us imaginations to use. And I believe that Simon Peter was standing there and thinking, what are they doing to my house? I mean, Jesus telling them, he said, calm down, Simon. It's going to be okay. Just calm down. Don't let your temper get control of you. Just relax. Yeah, but they're Be quiet. It's okay. It's okay. So here comes his body then. Paralyzed guy. And here are the four friends that they're luring him in. So they just look over. They never did get in there. They were just looking down there. And what Jesus says was, and when he saw their faith, when he saw the faith, the ingenuity, the creativity, the persistence, and the dedication, 
That's all, those are all synonyms for faith. When he saw their faith, he healed their friend. Not because of the, of the man's faith, but because of their faith. How many of us in this room have had Christ come into our hearts and into our lives because other people prayed for us? They carried us in their prayers. They carried us in their automobile. They carried us in their hearts of concern. We're all here because somebody knocked a hole in a roof somewhere someday to get us into the presence of Jesus. And Jesus said, this fellow's healed because of their faith. And the religious leader said, well, wait a minute. Who can forgive sins but God? They were right on that. They were correct on that. That's right. I can't forgive sins. Church can't forgive sins. Religion can't forgive sins. They were right. Only God can forgive sins. They were right on that. Their problem was that they didn't want God forgiving anybody's sin that they didn't approve of. They wanted to strain God's forgiveness through their own sieve of acceptability. Who can forgive sins but God? And they didn't realize or wouldn't accept the fact that God was there in person saying, okay, which is easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or to say, hey, get up and walk and go ahead home. You've been paralyzed by your guilt. And guilt will always paralyze us. Carl Menninger said half the hospital beds in America could be emptied tomorrow if people would accept the fact that their sins are forgiven. Their guilt is gone. For guilt always paralyzes us. And I'm here to announce good words to you today. It may come as a surprise, but it's a great surprise. Your sins are forgiven. Making difference what the religious leaders say, your sins are forgiven. Making difference what your conscience says, your sins are forgiven. Doesn't make any difference what other people say and their finger pointing accusations. Your sins are forgiven. Get up. Rejoice. Glorify God and head home. A new man. Boy, that guy jumped up, said, Hi, Jesus, thank you. Come on to the party we're going to have at my house. And he left, and everybody was just amazed, the scripture says. Now, I want to say just a couple of quick words that I think are very important. I hope these will stick in your mind. When we read this story, we are surprised, and properly so, by the unconventional methods used to get people into the presence of Jesus. The unconventional methods used to get people into the presence of Jesus. The longer I live and the longer I try to serve God, the more convinced I am that religious institutionalism, religious bureaucracy... Often Christian institutions get more concerned with preserving the institution than reaching people. And institutions are not holy. They're not sacred. Organizations are not sacred. Christian ministries are not sacred unless they deal with what is sacred, and what is sacred are not the institutions, not the organization, not the bureaucracy, not the programs, but people. People are sacred. Tear off any roof, move any program, change and alter 
any direction to reach people and to help them be touched by the healing words of Jesus when he says, your sins are forgiven. We're also surprised by the persistence of these fellows. Let me say to you, God always honors the faith of people who care about other folks. God always honors the faith of people who care about other people. Now, everybody else may not honor you. Some of that religious crowd sitting there may not honor you. You know, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. That's true. But he also didn't say some things that he knew and subsequent his Christian history has proved. You will know the truth and the truth is Jesus and he will make you free. But it will also make some people mad as hell. And they don't want to hear the truth. And they're more concerned with the preservation of the status quo than they are reaching people who are hurting. The persistence of these guys. I'm not going to let a little roof stand in the way. I'm not going to let buildings stand in the way. We're not going to let traditions stand in the way. We're going to do everything we can to bring people into the presence of him who can say, as no one else can say, your sins are forgiven. Get up and go home in peace. Something else, uh, they were surprised by forgiveness and grace. It's just hard for people to accept the fact that they don't have to do something to get God's love. If you can do something to get God's love, it's not a gift, right? I mean, if you pay something on it, it's not a gift. It, it's, a, it's an undeserved gift. And that's just hard for some folks to take. They just feel like they've got to do something religious to receive these blessings. No, they're yours. Everyone in this room, all of your sins are forgiven. Accept it. He's taken your guilt. That's what the cross is all about. Accept it. And go home rejoicing and glorifying God. That's what this fellow did. The word glorify is an interesting word. We sang it in the beginning of this service. The word glory or glorify comes from the Greek word doxa. In English, it would be spelled D-O-X-A, doxa, which is where we get doxology. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Doxa means praise. It means glorify. And that word was used initially to describe a person's reputation. So the word glorify, when you read it in the Bible, and if you look in your concordance, you'll see it often, glory and glorify. How do you glorify God? When you and I glorify God, we enhance the reputation of God. That's what the word means. To glorify God means to enhance his reputation. Now, now God doesn't need any improving. 
He is perfect. He is love. He is grace. He is peace. He is forgiveness. We cannot in any way aid and abet and strengthen the reputation of God. But what we can do, what we can do is that we can help offset some of those who are hurting the reputation of God by presenting him as angry and judgmental and vindictive and unfair. And unfortunately, a lot of what goes as preaching today does not glorify God because it does not enhance his reputation of love and of grace and of peace and of long-suffering and of gentleness and of faith and of meekness and of self-control. To glorify needs to enhance the reputation of God. And healthy Christians and healthy churches are supposed to add to the public perception of what God is like. We've got to reclaim his reputation from legalism and judgmentalism and hate that is running abroad in our land today and much of it going coast to coast clothed in religious garb and religious language and it does not enhance the reputation of the God of love. We must do it, not only in our lives personally, but in our corporate life as a church and as Christians. Now, let me say a final word about what I think happened. This, this is not in the Bible. This is just my imagination. I don't think the story ended there. I think they all went down to old paralyzed Joe's house. And they were having a party down there. I mean, can you imagine what kind of party his family and his neighbors and all were having? Guy was carried away that morning by four friends, and he comes back that evening glorifying and praising God and carrying that map that they'd been carrying them on. Can you imagine? We get, so, we get so accustomed to hearing this, we forget the emotion that went on in that experience. Here he comes walking home, and some little boy says, Mama, Daddy's walking. He's coming down the street just praising God and, and just smile on his face they couldn't believe it well they had a party you ever been to a jewish feast they know how to party i tell you it's more than oreo cookies and hawaiian punch in the church basement <laughs> it's celebration time <laughs> well i believe jesus was there i believe the four friends were there simon peter was there and in my imagination, I believe these four fellows walked up to Simon and said, Simon, we kind of knocked some holes in your house today, didn't we? He said, yeah, we'll talk to you about that. He said, we're going to fix them. He said, we're going to do it. In fact, we're going to go down there right now. Simon said, I'll come with you. I want you to be sure you do it right. <laughs> so those five fellows walked down there at night, moonlight, crawled up on the top of that house and started fixing the hole in the roof. And I don't think they'd been there long before another person came up there on that roof. I believe he had a big smile on his face. And I believe he looked at him and said, don't you think a real carpenter ought to fix this thing? <laughs> I've fixed a lot of roofs. I've fixed a lot of broken things. And I can fix this roof. 
like I fixed that man. Just like I'll fix you and you and you. You got a hole in your heart put there by people who maybe meant well. You don't understand why it happened. He'll fix that. And someday you'll look with pride and say, that's where he came down. Look at that. Looks like a patch. No. That's praise. Got a hole in your heart because of loss of hope? He'll fix that. He's the fixer of broken things. And I believe they sat there long into the night looking at the Sea of Galilee and talking about fixing the world. Wouldn't you like to have been there? Well, better than that, you've come to your house. You've fixed things in your home and in your heart and in your life. Surprise, surprise. You're forgiven. Go home a different way. Lord, use these moments of invitation to encourage people to let you, the great carpenter of Galilee, fix our hearts, our bodies, our minds, our hopes, our homes. And so, Father, may every one of us let you come join us on the rooftop of our own experience today and speak to us fresh and anew, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. I'm going to ask you not to move for these next few moments while we're having this invitation. It'll only last a couple of three minutes. Man, it can be a miracle two or three minutes when Jesus fixes up some things. Would you trust him as your Lord and Savior? A grown young man did this morning, a teacher in the public schools. Came to make a profession of faith in the Lord. Others came for prayer. God's saying something to you. Whatever it is he wants you to do, come for prayer, come to join this church, come to commit your life to the loving, graceful Lord. Whatever it is, as we stand and as we sing, I'll be here to greet you. You come. Let's stand.